Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Bible reading is this morning is going to be taken from the book of Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Um, I'll be ending the Bible reading by saying, This is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, Thanks be to God. God is our refuge and strength, an ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the hearts of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. It's um, good to be here in the Lord's presence, and I've enjoyed the service so far. It's a little bit refreshing to have a hymn Sunday. I'm going to put some people on the spot now. If you really enjoyed the hymns that we've sang so far, and you would like more of these hymns to be done, can you raise your hands, please? So, family, just turn around and look at the number of people that want more of this. All right, that's your business. <laughs> but I've, um, I've really enjoyed it, and um, I look forward to more like this. This morning, we will continue with our series on prayers of the saints. It is a series that we have come up with that will perhaps encourage us to pray more using examples of the Psalms. By God's grace, we have looked at Psalm 1, we've looked at Psalm 51, and we've also looked at Psalm 42. This morning, we're going to take a look at Psalm 46. Let me ask a question. What is the difference between problem, trouble, wahala, and calamity? What do you think the difference is? I had a funny joke um, earlier on this week about the difference between 
problem and wahala. And somebody was saying that if you're driving a 2000 car and then you are you know, distracted and then you hit the back of a Rolls Royce, that is wahala. If you're driving the Rolls Royce, that's a problem. <laughs> but let me tell you a little bit of an experience I had, again, to do with cars. When I was a teenager, it was my responsibility every morning before my mom went to work to go and clean her nice-looking 504. That's the car that she drove then. So every, every morning I would go. At some point, it was, I was only allowed to clean the outside of the car. Then I graduated towards cleaning the inside. Then I graduated towards warming the car, <laughs> taking the key, starting the car, and then letting the car run for a while. Turning it off, my mom would come down and she would drive off. You know, I didn't know how to drive. Very key piece of information. <laughs> and then this fateful day, I entered the car and had been begging my parents, I need to learn how to drive. I was a young 17, 18-year-old boy living in Lagos. Almost all my friends knew how to drive, and I wanted to learn how to drive. My parents didn't listen to me. Anyway, I entered this car. We were living in 1004 at the time. I entered the car, did all my, the car was shining. I cleaned, I, I do a good job. I, was, I cleaned it very well. And then I was warming the car, and all of a sudden, and I tell you, this is a true story. I don't know what happened. I am sure there was another power involved. I am sure. This car leapt forward and ended up in somebody's bedroom. True story, true story. And I was sitting behind the steering. This is 1004, by the way. So imagine I walk out of the car. The car is touching somebody's bed. The lady there is saying, oh my god. And I come out like this. And everybody had come outside to see this, you know, to come and see this loud crash. And I put my hand on my head. What do you call that one? All right. There's another one. Me and this pastor, Femi, were once stuck in the UK. We had a situation. And that situation was that we had to get a house and we had to pay for rent for the house. Somehow, we just assumed that you know, things were going to be fine. They would let us pay for one month. We had done some calculations. And then all of a sudden, after a lot of miscommunication and everything, we found out that we had to pay for six months at once. And we had to move into this house. To cut a long story short, we ended up scraping money, borrowing from all kinds of places. And we paid for this house. I checked my bank account. And it was 0 0.05 pence in the account. I don't even think he had an account at the time. <laughs> we were basically living in this house with no money and no food. What do you call that? <laughs> now, now, these stories sound funny now, but I, trust me, they were not funny then. They were real problems. And they were, they, by the time I entered into that, into that house with that car, I knew I was in trouble. My parents were going to kill me. There was nothing else that, that was involved there. I, I was in deep trouble. As funny as they sound, many of us here are going through real problems, real difficulties, real trials, real situations that cause us to despair. Many of us have problems that, at certain times, we, we just don't know what to do. 
By God's grace, we may go through those troubles and we may look back on some of them and some of them may sound funny like they sound this morning. But essentially, we go through troubles in this life. If you take your individual problems and you add the problems of Nigeria or Lagos to them, they become compounded. I read somewhere recently that over 1,800 people have been killed in Nigeria in 2018 alone over the communal clashes between farmers and headsmen. I mean, the problems in this country are numerous. We don't even need to, I don't need to talk to you about them because you know them very well. In case you're thinking, ah, the problems are only in Nigeria. If I leave this country and if I go to Canada, my problems will end. Think again. Just the other day, last week or so, a few weeks ago, a young man, 29-year-old man, just pulled out a handgun and then started shooting people on the streets at random. How do you live in a society like that? where you can't walk on the streets in any form of safety. There is trouble everywhere. There is evil everywhere. There is no place on this earth that is truly and totally safe. This psalm, Psalm 46, is a Christian's comfort in a world which has all this trouble. Because when you look at all the trouble and all the problems and the danger and the fear, you come to realize that there really isn't any safe place in this world. The message of this psalm is that the only safe place in this world is in God. Like I said before, everybody in this room, I, don't, I, I, can, I can make this statement very boldly. Everybody in this room is going through one issue or another. It might be something as small as you know, a blemish on your skin to something as great as a problem that you don't know what to do about it. When you're deep in the throes of whatever that issue might be, and you run to God in prayer, let this psalm remind you that through your troubles, there is absolute comfort in God. This psalm is composed in three stanzas, and because of that, only because of that, I will cover today's topic in three headings. I wanted to go for seven. It's not because this church has a, a culture of going for three. It's just because it's in three stanzas. So I'm going to cover today's uh, message that is titled Prayer of the Comforted in three parts. The first part is comfort in the power of God, comfort in the presence of God, and the final one is comfort in the purpose of God. Number one, comfort in the power of God. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The psalmist begins this psalm the best way anybody can begin any passage. He begins this psalm with the object of our attention, God. He draws our attention to God and he says, look to him. Why? Because he is our refuge and strength. The word refuge here means a state of being safe, or more accurately, a state of being sheltered from danger. In Psalm 91, verse 1 to 3, the psalmist says that he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and fortress. My God in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler, and from the noisome pestilence. So if God is our refuge, what that means is that God is the one that delivers us from attacks. 
He is the one that we can run to as a refuge when we feel that we're in danger or when we feel that we are being pursued. But he's not just our refuge. He's also our strength. God can prevent the attacks from coming our way, but there are times when God permits the attacks. There are times when he will let sickness come to you in very grave ways. There are times that you will have deep sorrow, maybe because of the loss of a loved one. There are times that our marriages get attacked, and he lets us go through that. There are times that there will be attacks on ministry as well. Division in families, division in churches. Sometimes God lets us go through those troubles. But he says, the psalmist says that he's not just our refuge, he's also our strength so that we can resist and endure and prevail in the midst of all this trouble. He gives us the strength to be able to go through those things. Sometimes he prevents the attacks from coming to us, but sometimes when we go through those attacks, it is still on God's strength that we rely to be able to go through them. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Do you remember that? Do you remember that this is not any complicated debate on predestination or money or anything? These are the verses that I believe many of us would have grown up with. The simple verses that tell us how strong our God is. He is our strength. But still in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. God is always available. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter if it looks as though he's absent. God is always there. To paraphrase Dami last week, who probably paraphrased Pastor Femi, who probably paraphrased somebody else, if you go through life here on earth, you will go through some trouble. There is no doubt about it. Famous preacher once called it life. It is life. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. As Femi usually says, you are either coming out of a grave uh, trouble or wahala or calamity, you are going through one at this point in time, or you are heading into one. But whatever the case is, you never need to ask, as a Christian, where is God? Because, as he says in Hebrews 13, verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The psalmist in verse 1 states what is absolutely true. He begins that psalm by saying, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. But then he takes that absolute statement and he somehow tries to personalize it. He dreams up or conjures up for us or gives us a picture of what perhaps might be the worst troubles that any human being can go through. Let me explain how. He says in verse 2 and 3, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, through its though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. 
You see, what he's describing here is, an, is a disturbance of the elements that we currently experience in this world. Earthquakes. Do you know how helpless you can be in an earthquake? There is nobody to call. You can't call a friend. You can't rely on your bank account. The bank is probably not there. It is perhaps one of the most helpless feelings that you can possibly have. In 2010, when there was a, an earthquake in Haiti, I followed that story closely because people, there were was, there was some engineering um, reviews on how the structures behaved during that earthquake. What was predominant throughout was the devastation that had occurred in Haiti at the time because of that earthquake. If the city, if a city is being attacked in time of war, if, if it's being bombed by artillery or whatever, you know, people can build bunkers. They can go underground and they can hide so that by the time, you know, all the bombs are exhausted, they come up and see, oh, you know, at least they can live their lives. In an earthquake, you can't go underground. It is the earth that is moving. It is an utterly helpless situation. Mountains are swallowed up by the sea. As a structural engineer, I can tell you that a mountain is probably the most stable structure on earth. It has a base as wide as a city. There is nothing that, when you look at it, that can shake it or that can move it. But yet, what we're describing here is something that is a physical reality. You can have landslides. You can have things that will just end up taken up by the sea. It says that the seas rage and roar. We're talking about rousing up a storm so terrible that mountains tremble. You see, what the psalmist is painting for us here is a picture that should tell us that when things can appear to seem very stable, they can suddenly become unstable. And I'm sure many of us have gone through situations where this moment is calm, the next moment is chaos. See, it doesn't take anything for, for, for things to go from good to terrible, just like that in our lives. But when they do, how do you respond? You see, the psalmist is saying that you may not be able to control what goes on around you. You may not be able to control what happens around you. But you most definitely are able to determine and control how you respond to whatever happens. So how do you respond? Verse 2, we will not fear. If you're a Christian, that should be your response. If you are thinking, how am I going to respond to a situation that will come up later on where I will be in trouble? The response you ought to have upon this psalm that you are seeing is that you will not fear because you have put your eye and your faith in the God who is your strength, who is your refuge, and who is your fortress. You see, fear is a very powerful thing. In fact, fear and faith cannot coexist. When one shows up, the other disappears. But as far as we have God through the belief in Jesus, we will not fear. Psalm 23 verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 27 verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You see, these verses that I'm reading for you are verses that you're already familiar with. 
They are verses that should come to your memory whenever you're going through any kinds of trouble. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I don't know what you may be going through. I don't know what you're going through at this moment, at work, perhaps, in your personal life, in your relationships, in your health, perhaps with your children, perhaps with your parents, perhaps in other kinds of relationships. When you meet with God in the place of prayer, it doesn't matter what fears you may have. Say to God the words of this psalm, O God, you are my refuge and my strength. I will not fear. You're only able to do this if you're a Christian. You're only able to do this because there is comfort in the power of God. That is the first, comfort in the power of God. Number two, comfort in the presence of God. The second stanza of this psalm begins in verse 4. It appears that in the first stanza, the threat of trouble for the psalmist is in the elements, in the earth, in the sea, in the mountains, quaking. In the second stanza, it seems that the threat seems to be the enemy nations. And so what we see here is that the psalmist is obviously living in times when warring with enemy nations was prevalent, especially with Israel being a small nation and always under threat of attack. Note, very important to note, that the psalmist here does not seek, like in the first stanza, to be taken out of the conflict. He affirms rather that in the midst of the conflict, God is there. God is there. I don't want you to lose sight of or lose the, the tension that is, that is found between verses 3 and 4. Because in verses 2 and 3, what, you seem to, what, what is there it seems to be like chaos and high tension, the, 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 the raging of the sea and the trembling of the mountains. And then suddenly in verse 4, he says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. On the one hand, you have the seas that are rousing up a storm, and on the other hand, you have a river that is calm and gentle. Not only that, it is in the midst of that river that you find God. Almost as though the psalmist is trying to say, it doesn't matter what the, what the problems are. It doesn't matter how grave they are. There is God. In Psalm 1, verse 1 to 3, the psalmist says that there is a way that you can be blessed. That if you want to be blessed... Don't hang around with some kinds of people. Don't sit or stand with some certain types of people. But instead, delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on the law of the Lord. And what will that man be like? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You see, the river is symbolic of something. If a tree is planted by the river, during the times of drought, that tree will still flourish. Why? Because the stream continues to feed its roots. Every time, if you wanted to cite a city in old Israel, you would always look for a major river. You see, you know why? 
Because if an enemy wanted to attack you, one of the easiest ways for them to attack you was for them to cut off supplies. But if you had a river, that was pretty much a source of being able to be self-sustaining. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The city of God are the people of God. If you're here and you're a Christian, you belong to that city. God is in the midst of her. What is the reason to fear? What is the reason to be worried? What is the reason to, be, to have any form of dread whatsoever in a situation like this? Because God is in the midst of his habitation, as a result of that, that city shall not be moved. Look at verse 5, and let's compare verse 5 to verse 1. It says in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. In verse 5, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. God is helping in verse 1. God is helping in verse 5. But look at the difference between the two helps. In verse 1, it's talking about the perpetual help of God, which is always available for us as Christians. In verse 5, it speaks about the specific timing of God's help. You see, the break of dawn or when morning dawns is actually very symbolic for a nation, of, for a nation that goes to war. If you, if you remember in the movie of Troy, the way armies thought best to attack when it was just morning or when it was, the day was breaking. You know why? Because that's the time when the armies or the enemies are most vulnerable. In Troy, when they actually took the, um, the Trojan horse and gave it as a gift with the men that were hidden inside, those men waited until it was just the break of dawn before they came out and opened up the gates of the city so that the entire city of Troy was sacked. You see, that is the time at morning, at, at, at dawn, when people are supposedly most vulnerable. That is when God shows up. When you are at your weakest moments, when you have called everybody you know how to call, when you have exhausted whatever planning or plotting or thoughts that you could think of to solve the problem that you have, when you are exhausted in terms of your, your energy and your spent and there is nothing you can do anymore. God shows up. You see, it doesn't matter when God shows up. What matters is that God shows up and that whenever he shows up, it is the perfect timing. It doesn't matter for us as we see things. We want him to come now. We want him to prevent the problem. We want him to stop anything that is happening. But God's timing is always the most perfect. You see, for Noah, for instance, he showed up before the flood. For Daniel, it was while he, he was in the lion's den that he showed up in the midst of his trouble. He didn't come to Martha and Mary until Lazarus had died. It doesn't matter whether it's before, during, or after. What matters if you're a Christian is that when God shows up, it is perfect timing. If verse 5 tells us when God helps, verse 6 tells us how God helps. You see, in verse 6, he says, Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. 
God only needs to speak to silence the raging and the torturing of the nations and kingdoms. I'm telling you now, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whatever, whoever is trying to do to you. You don't even have nations and kingdoms going up against you. However big your problems are, you don't have a nation that is trying to war with you, do you? Do you? It doesn't matter how big your problems are. But here the psalmist is saying, even when nations are raging, God just needs to speak. God will have the last word, I assure you. If you're a Christian, and these words in this psalm speak to you in any way or form, how do you pray about your troubles? How are you praying now if you're going through something really difficult? How do you come to God in prayer and how do you speak to him understanding who he is? Do you come to God complaining? Do you come lamenting about how you are not like your friends? Why me? Are you so overwhelmed by your problems that all you can think about is just lamenting about them. Not that it is unhealthy to lament, but is that all that your prayers consist of when you are in trouble? Do you remember that God is there? Perhaps one way to pray about your problems is to tell God, Lord, I know you are there and you are with me. Even though I'm going through these terrible things I'm going through, I know you are there. All it takes is for you to utter your voice and these problems will melt away. Though I feel this way, I will trust in you, my Lord. There is help and there is safety in the presence of God. This brings me to my third point. There is comfort in the purpose of God. Look how the third stanza in verse 8 starts. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Or he burns the chariots with fire. You see, God can make absolute peace where there seems to be chaos. But God can also fight. God can bring peace in the most devastating of situations, in the most troubled times, in the most disturbing of situations. But at the same time, God can also fight for you. You have a God that fights for you. And guess what? God does not fight fair. You know what an unfair fight is? All those martial arts movies, if you wanted to have what was a proper fight, the two people that were fighting had to have their own weapon of, weapons of choice. If you wanted to raise the tension of the movie to um, kind of get the, the person who is watching the movie more excited, you would plot the fight in such a way that the good guy, there's always a good guy and a bad guy, he will somehow lose his own weapon. It becomes an unfair fight, right? So that then you think that the bad guy is going to defeat the good guy. So that's what an unfair fight is. When one side does not have the weapons to be able to fight 
But look at what God does. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. He takes away the weapons from the enemy. And he burns their chariots so that they cannot run. What problem? Who is the person? He, I tell you now, I don't care who the person is. I don't care if you're being marginalized one way or the other, whether it's in your office, whether you're part of a minority group. I don't care if they are doing you from the village. <laughs> if you have God on your side, if you have this God fighting for you, what, what do you have to fear? Let's go back to verse 8. In verse 8, he says, Come and see what the Lord has done. Come behold the works of the Lord. You see, it's as if the psalmist here is calling us to do something. But what he's calling us to do is to do nothing but observe God's work. Come behold the works of the Lord. The phrase, the works of the Lord, in old Israel, was a phrase that stood for the faithfulness of God. It's as if, if you wanted to have a resume for what God has done, if you wanted to know what God could do, you had to go and look at what God had done for you to know that he would take you through whatever trouble you're going through. I strongly believe that one of the reasons why we are, as Christians, often so overwhelmed with worry and fear and anxiety is because we don't spend enough time thinking, remembering what God has done. I'm often out in the, somewhere in the, not too far from the shore, but in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, on, either on a boat or on a rig somewhere. And every time I look out into the sea, there is something, every time I'm out there and I look out, I can't help but think about how a body of water was separated in two, such that human beings were able to walk on dry land. I can't, it always fascinates me to the point that I wish I was there. Do you remember that the God that you worship is the God that did that? When you're thinking, oh my God, I don't know what to do. I am, this, this problem has overwhelmed me. Do you remember that is what God did for the children of Israel? Psalm 111 verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. It is as though when we are going through our troubles, what we tend to do is just glance at God. As one famous preacher puts it, we glance at God, but we gaze at Goliath. We kind of just know that God is there, you know? But we know the ins and outs of the problems. We know, oh, if we are able to do this part, this one will be solved. If we're able to tackle this thing, this thing will come into place. We spend our time looking at the problem. That is the reason why sometimes when we pray, our prayers are just filled with, it sounds like sometimes our prayers are just filled with complaints because we know the problem too well. But perhaps we don't know God as well as we ought to.
Psalm 111 verse 2 says, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Do you study the works of the Lord? Not just in the pages of scripture, but also in your own life. Because God has a testimony in your own lives as well. I often tell my wife, every time we are faced with one issue, I, I say to her, you know, just the way we had issues before and we prayed about them, is the same way we are going to pray about these issues and God is going to help see us through. If I was stuck in, in one foreign country somewhere with my good friend here, without any money, without an inkling of what we were going to do or how we were going to eat, and we did eat Indomie every day for the next how many days, how am I going to be worried about how God is going to provide for me? As in, I have to remember that God took me out of that situation. Do you study the wondrous works of God? Do you remember when God's people grumbled with hunger and he fed them with magic bread from heaven? These things are, they, if you think about them long enough, they will blow your mind. Do you remember when God's people groaned with thirst and he squeezed water from a rock? Do you remember how he led his people into a land flowing with milk and honey and gave them rest? Do you remember how he disarmed the principalities and powers through a carpenter on the cross? Do you remember how he rescued you from the clutches of sin and brought you into his covenant? Something that nothing, no power on this earth could, could ever achieve. Do you remember how he still provides daily bread for you? Even in the problems that you're going through, you eat, right? You have food to eat, something as basic as food. When you go to God in prayer, do you remember the works of the Lord? Philippians 4 verse 6 to 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. 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 The psalmist remembers. Look at verse 9. He says he makes wars cease. You see, the psalmist has observed how God has caused wars to cease. He says that he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He remembers how God disarmed the enemies that came to attack the nation of Israel. He knows that when God fights for them, he makes it an unfair fight. Suddenly in verse 10, it is as if another speaker comes on. The psalmist has been holding brief for God for the past nine verses. And then in verse 10, God says, wait, let me speak for myself. And he says, be still. That is a command. It is a command to do nothing. Be still and know that I am God. Stop striving. If you're a Christian, stop trying to fight for yourself. And know that God is there. If you're not a Christian, stop trying to fight against God. You know why? You know why? 
Because in the end, God alone will be glorified. That's what he says. That's what he says. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Time is coming, he says, when every knee will surely bend. Time is coming when everyone will confess the lordship of Jesus Christ and confess our God, the God that you and I worship as the one true God. So why are you striving? Why are you worried? Why are you fearful? Let me say something. That all of this comfort, all of this safety that is offered to us here today in this psalm is a non-starter if you are yet to believe in Jesus. The God who speaks and the earth melts offers you an opportunity today to put your faith in Jesus Christ. It is only then that you can find comfort in him. Verse 11 is the same as verse 7 and in common song parlance is known as the refrain. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In Joshua chapter 5, just before the city of Jericho was, was destroyed, Joshua was going on, on some sort of a reconnaissance mission and he comes to a place where he meets this man who has his sword drawn. And Joshua looks at him and says, are you for us or are you against us? Do you know what that man responds? He says, no. Are you for us or are you against us? No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. You're asking me, am I going to take sides? No, I've not come to take sides. I have come to take over. The Lord of hosts is with us. Not only does he fight fair, he is the commander of the host of armies. What do you have to fear? The God of Jacob is our fortress. You see, a fortress is actually a high wall that in times of trouble, people would run to it because it is difficult to penetrate. Sometimes also, a fortress is a place where even if you have done something wrong, by accident, for instance, you can run there. And as soon as you go into the gates and you're behind the fortress, you are safe. You can't be touched. If perhaps you had, you know, say you're walking on your farm and your axe should, you know, accidentally fly and kill somebody. In old Israel, you had to, the best thing for you to do was to run to a particular city which was built like a fortress. And once you are in the walls of that fortress, nobody can come and harm you in there. The psalmist says, the God of Jacob is our fortress. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Proverbs 8 verse 10. My friends, 
we're talking about prayer. We're talking about prayer and to a very large extent, this psalm gives us more than ammunition to pray. It gives you more than you need to be able to think through how you present your problems to God when you come to Him in prayer. When you pray, I hope you remember that God has a purpose. God has a plan of which you, if you're a Christian, are a part of. That plan and purpose ends in God's glorification and His exaltation. And when you bring your problems to God, and you must, you must bring your problems to Him, it should not be as one who is overwhelmed, but as one who is comforted. It should not be as one who has no hope, but as one who has tremendous hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your prayer should not be as of that who is fearful, but someone who knows that his or her safety and comfort is in God. Last week, Dami rightly encouraged us as a way of praying to God to sing. This psalm, Psalm 46, is commonly known as Martin Luther's psalm because it ended up being a psalm that a lot of the reformers actually used to encourage themselves. And he wrote a hymn called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I'm going to read some lines of that hymn to you. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, Lord of hosts, his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness, grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Let's close our eyes in prayer, and as we pray, let us ask God to give us the words of prayer on our lips that acknowledge His power, that acknowledge His presence and acknowledge His purpose. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, Love people, love Lagos.